and Zig coming in at the top. Today on the show we have Ev Gold from Cinema Cinema, a band inspired by the philosophies of getting to the van and following their own creed and making their own music and not caring what others think about it, but only trying to seek those who appreciate creation in its purest form. And this ambition led them to be getting in the van and driving to opening for Black Flag. Cinema Cinema's got a new album out. It's called CCXMD2. A very free jazz-inspired album. There's two volumes of it. The first one's been out. It's on all streaming platforms, and this next one will be too. We're going to listen to the track Continued off of CCXMD2. Continued off the album CCXMD2. Now, this can't be a good judge for a Cinema Cinema because this is just one track that sounds nothing else like their discography. So, I recommend you check out some of their earlier works. They're a little more punk and makes sense why they open for Black Flag if you listen to some of their earlier works. But this record, they're sticking to it. This record's got its own sound and its own feel. And um, the tracks are fairly lengthy. So this is why the the reason I went with this song is one is it gets a whole band captured, but also is long enough that we can hear it and get into the interview. So with that being said, if you can like, follow, subscribe, rate, review the podcast on all the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests and getting inspiration to share that with you. And without further ado, here's Ev Gold. Cool. Well, first question is, uh, what happened to the trumpet? 
uh, were you anticipating trumpet, or do you mean just that, why isn't the trumpet covered in our uh, in the in this outing? No, I mean like uh, with or, you. Or do you mean in, you playing the trumpet? Or, or my, my personal experience playing the trumpet? Yeah. Well, I'm 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 pretty floored that. Uh, see, it, it, to think that someone might have done any sort of research that uh, uh, on on us or or me ahead of time, being that I did. Uh, I did a quick bit of research on your podcast, but I can only uh, glean so much by tapping on the most recent, um, you know, like episode, et cetera. But well, thanks. That being I appreciate said, what that. Happened? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I want to respect the time that you're spending by by knowing at least what I'm going to try to, you know, approach, not just blindly coming in. But that being said, the trumpet. Wow. Thank you for starting off with a personal question. Um, yeah, the trumpet came about in junior high school for me. And that was... Um, that actually was right before I uh, I started to learn how to play guitar. I already knew I wanted to be a vocalist as a little kid. I just had this voice that was inside me that had to get out and uh, and singing in the mirror and screaming in the shower or screaming in the shower and singing in the mirror or doing either in the rain. I'm not sure, but whatever was <laughs> happening when I was a kid, it felt really natural doing that. Um, so I knew I wanted to be a vocalist. I had a lot to say. Uh, I felt like I wanted to write lyrics, but I felt like I would, you know, um, play a, more of a conventional rock instrument, I guess, is what I had first thought uh, when that first crossed my mind. I first got like really bit by the be a musician bug um, around the age of nine. Uh, and that was because Guns N' Roses came into and rocked my world in 1987. So uh, I'm sorry to get so far off the trumpet that no, I'm talking good. about Guns N' Roses, but let me, <laughs> let, let, let me stay with this. Music really didn't didn't really, really stir me too much uh, until Guns N' Roses like totally upended me when I was nine. I didn't understand it. It was just, it was crazy. It seemed dangerous. Like the songs had curse words. These guys were crazy. And it just had an energy. It just drew me in. Um, you know, such a different world it was in 1987, kind of like finding out about them through MTV, that kind of filter, etc. And just, you know, I mean, what I'm getting at is I felt motivated, like, oh, wow, you know, I think I want to do a band. Yeah. And I started to, like, look into, like, rock and roll as this thing to um, study. You know, I listened to, like, you know, what Guns N' Roses said in an interview and they mentioned the Stones or they mentioned the Sex Pistols. Or they mentioned Black Sabbath. I'm like, I should find those things, you know, because there was that mystique back then. There wasn't a right. search engine at my, at my fingertips. You know, I couldn't just go to my phone and Google. I was like, oh, I must come across these things in my future, um, you know, like, uh in my future uh, uh, endeavors, I have to keep my eyes open. So it was this like um, mythical little journey that opened into like wanting to be in a band and a rock band. So I wasn't thinking too much about the, the trumpet or or other wind instruments. So it, you know, I had no idea yet about things like Miles Davis or anything. You know, I mean, it was just so early. So when I first was thinking I'm going to sing, and then I want to learn how to play some kind of like guitar or drums. I'm not sure. Uh, there I am. I'm I'm in junior high school, like a year later, and I'm in, uh, I'm in bands and I'm thrust in and uh, trumpet is what wound up in my hands. And I wound, I made it to second trumpet. I made That's it to second good. seat. I made it to second seat. And it was, you know, I mean, I think the, the challenge from what I recall was adjusting to um, the... The reverberation you have to achieve with your with your lips yeah. uh, in order to, you know, the trumpet isn't just... I'm not going to say a saxophone or other reed based like clarinet stuff is just blowing but like the trumpet really isn't just blowing it's yeah, like you gotta this, hear like... those intervals and you, can, you know yeah. I mean? you got three valves it's not like mm -hmm. changing the keys and just getting to the next note you really gotta you gotta do that with your with your your breath 
in the yeah. the amateur. Uh, I think that's the right word I'm looking for. It's it's really really daunting, and it's and it's 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 interesting, and it, it was quite a challenge, and it was suddenly opened up music in a, in a different way to me. Um, so I was glad to be exposed to it. That time period was sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And in eighth grade was when I got my hands on a guitar and my father started to teach me, um, like, uh, in such a way that, uh, it wasn't so much where I was learning trumpet via, you know, Mary had a little lamb, et cetera. And then moving up to like sounds of Sousa and, and, and fun stuff to play, et cetera. But, um, that being said, with the guitar with my father, aside from him throwing a Mel Bay chord book my way, um, he also got me a Neil Young Decade um, chord book. Decade is his retrospective, a Neil Young album of his work in the 70s. And uh, there's just a lot of, uh, it was always around and on in my house when I was young. So um, I learned uh, a lot of guitar by learning the songs out of that songbook and listening to that um, that album. There's a lot of good stuff with like open voiced E minor sevenths and D's. I mean, and I mean, need one of the damage done. I mean, and just like hearing amazing song work, but also that was kind of how I started to learn my way through guitar. Was it um, tabbed my out? Thought, like, was uh, it, or, or was it just yeah, straight it was, chords? It was, I'm, I, it was definitely tabbed out. Nice. It was, um, okay. well, it was, yeah, it was, <clears throat> I've never, I mean, other than the reading that I learned to play trumpet, um, any of the, it, like the learning that I did in terms of my guitar playing and, and my, my journey that's been going now, I guess, almost 30 years in playing guitar. Uh, aside from, you know, I'd say post studies, meaning like the last 10 years, I decided I really should go back, um, and try to open up different avenues by, um, actually using, um, different, like, I have a I'm 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 a magazine collector, so I have like guitar worlds going back nice. for like 25 years, and yeah. they all have really sound, um, like little lessons in the back. They do. So um, like in the last like 10 years, I, I collected like this little scrapbook of all these lessons, uh, just little, little like kind of pick me up tricks, and then also like I I did a um. Uh, I got acquainted with finger picking via some uh, watching some stuff on YouTube. You know, I mean, so there's right. different methods that I, that I've come to learn since then. But to, to to dial it back, what happened to the trumpet? Was this was the question? It was such a good <laughs> question. I didn't think it was directed for me. I got to tell you, Dave or Zig or whatever we're gonna go with. Uh, I'm already happy to be this deep into the woods. I, I'm not even sure where I'm going. So I mean, what what happened was the trumpet I put down in the name of the guitar in eighth grade. The guitar wound up in my hands. My father started to teach me. He taught me in such a way that I was started to learn songs via that Neil Young book and some other songs. So I was kind of like on this breadcrumb trail to feeling like I couldn't write songs. I wanted to use it as a tool right away. So I ran off with the guitar and left the trumpet um, where it was. Uh, I really, really, I've always toyed with the idea, like I'm going to get one back in the mix. You know, I mean, as yeah. time has progressed, you know, obviously I've got, I have guitars, I have basses, I have some keyboard type synth instruments around, you know, I mean, I feel comfortable on all of those. Uh, and I do a lot of sound stuff with my pedal board and stuff, but, uh, circling back to trumpet, especially now that you brought it up is something that I'm feeling like, uh, I would like to think about again. So thank you for doing some research and asking me about trumpet. That really goes back to the core of things for me. Um, yeah, and I'd like to I'd like to go back there again at some point. It was it was quite a challenge to make that trumpet sing. It really is. It it's is. tough on the lips. It, it is. is. It's a, it's a, it's with guitar. Well, it's interesting that um, you always wanted to because with you always want saw yourself as a singer because trumpet is very much like the breathing techniques are kind of the same. 
um, as far as singing. And like, uh, it, but that lip armature thing is completely different. And you're really hearing what note you're supposed to get to. You know what I mean? Like, what's cool about guitar, you know, like, here's my G. You know, every time I go to it, it's going to be there. But when you're singing, you like, did I hit that? I got to listen back. And trumpets yeah. kind of got some of that same uh, uh, mystique at first because you really got to gain the ear for it. So it makes more sense that guitar would be a, an opening door because, I mean, especially if you're going through a Neil Young book, like, well, he does G minor and E a lot. What's going on? You know what I mean? Like, I can do that. And, like, that, you know, it's a, it's a little more of a reachable, like, I don't want to say Neil Young's a reachable goal, but you know what I mean? Like, it's a little more reachable than maybe, like, a, listening to a Miles Davis record and be like, write that. And you're like, uh... <laughs> 100, 100%. I mean, Neil Young was much more of a, a mountain that could be climbed and one that I could make traction on right away to keep me really feeling like I'm getting somewhere, you know, because there's yeah. that challenge when you first pick up an instrument. Like, I felt naturally like I could sing. And I did think during that, during sixth and seventh grade, I did think, well, I, I'm getting this trumpet in my life because I'm working on my wind because I'm going to be this great vocalist. So I was <laughs> thinking that at the time, you know, and it's interesting that you say that it really is, uh, the trumpet is really something that is connected um, in, in, in a sense or, you know, like to, to a, a vocal type of um, instrument. But that being said, uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's really weird the path that we wind up taking um, almost by accident, but all the while under the umbrella of knowing we'd like to create. And this is the, this is the, um, this is the form with, within which we'd like to proceed. Like, like I knew right. music was going to be it. I wasn't sure what, you know, to this day I can dabble around if you left me alone in a studio and make a song that I could play, you know, all the parts of, I'm sure if, if I had to or wanted to, and I feel nice about it later on. I mean, the, the collaborative part of it all is the real true joy. Every great thing that I've gotten the chance to do has been via the collaborative part of it all. So, um, you know, I, I don't really yearn to go into a studio space and make something by myself, but I would say like the musicality that has kind of like, um, you know, come via this, you know, nonstop experience of pushing myself out there into the, the public forum and not into my own personal journey of music nonstop. It's definitely, um, it's grown over time, but I just always knew that, you know, that magical feeling I had uh, of kind of release and of also safety that music gave me from a, a young age. Um, I knew I was going to find my way somehow through it all. Um, but yeah, the finding a, a scalable uh, kind of mountain with uh, with the Neil stuff, definitely, definitely to get to keep me rolling and floating and through that learning process with a new instrument. Um, as opposed to like, you know, thinking of like, you know, bitches brew, you right. know, like, I mean, and like, and wow, you know, I mean, so, uh, yeah, I, um, I'm glad that I got to wade my way into the waters and like off the back of that early experience of learning how to play guitar in 92 by 94, I had found some friends in the neighborhood and, and started to just be a singer in a band. So then, okay. uh, I was just a singer, a screamer, shouter for a good four years. And, um, and that was a great experience because at the time I was, at the age of, I was a couple months shy of my 16th birthday, the first time we played Lamore. And Lamore is this, uh, it's been closed now for a good amount of years, but it was um, a very legit rock club in Brooklyn, in the Bensonhurst area of Brooklyn, that had functioned from, I think, late 70s through the end of the 90s. And like everyone had played Lamore, everyone passed through had played Lamore, like Maiden, Kiss, Metallica, like Damn. Chili Peppers. I mean, all the, you know, I mean, and, 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 
back then when I was coming up, Brooklyn bands were like Biohazard and Life of Agony. They weren't like, you know, I don't know what a what Brooklyn bands people think. I mean, the Brooklyn Explosion and like, oh, one people are think TV on the radio and yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, yeah. the, that is that. But like when I was a kid here growing up, it was a different thing. It was like typo negative. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I kind of yeah, I, I no, circled around. No, it's yeah, all I circled good. around a bunch of questions, and, I, and I'm off on a tangent now. Um, why don't you rein me back in? No, it's cool. Uh, Tangents please. are great. I live in a tangent. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get very tangential. Uh, you'll you'll get a lot out of me by accident. All you have to do is kind of like tap me on the shoulder, and all of a sudden it's a half hour later. So please rein me back in because I wound up talking about like. Um, Kind of oh oh my my first band experience and then then I was flashing back to the 90s in Brooklyn and what it was like and I was explaining Lamore that like playing my first gigs at 15 at Lamore and then playing CBGBs by 16 yeah um you know like that was kind of like you know those were that was a formative time and I I recently traced back like I could go through pretty much every year for the last 25 or 26 years where I at least played a handful of gigs I mean Cinema Cinema has been um been happening now for the last 13 and a half years so i've had a, a steady steady serious home and those have been right. like the the real real the real gist of everything and the real uh like the the culmination of so many things because it's been me and my cousin playing together as the core of that so like it's been spent about so much more than anything we could achieve it's been about like you know the the therapy of making art in a collaborative sense with someone I love and respect who I know is just as much thrown over the cliff with it as I am. Like he's just as committed as me. So that safety we feel in, uh, in going full tilt with each other, um, has been, uh, has been great. So I'm glad that I started this journey with the trumpet and the guitar <laughs> in the beginning of the nineties when I was a wee one, but uh, I'm even gladder that now I'm in my early forties and I seriously, seriously chase and consider my art a very important part of my life. And that's not based about, you know, around any kind of like commerce it brings in or any kind of situation that needs to be justified to somebody. It's my sanity and it's who I am for sure. So I'm right. really proud to be talking decades later and talking to you on your show about my band and eventually about the new album coming out and maybe about other crazy things. So it's a, it's a treat. Music, music's a real gift. Definitely. Well, and one, I think it's uh, the the speak on some of what you just said. I think it's important that it is done for you. And like, you know, what I mean, like is so much of and I'm sure you can speak way more in depthly on it than I can. But so much of like doing the, the band thing. Right. Do, there's especially now if you can be genretized, if we can put you on a bill that is like, OK, the jam bands are playing the night. You're a jam band. You fit in that. And Spotify is all hunky dory on oh this is a pop track with a umpteen beat tempo we can put this on this playlist like everything is so like specific so it can be placed and like marketed the fact that like you've come to have your own art and this own unique sound that varies from thrash like punk to like free jazz which i got more questions on in a bit but like to find this common ground that is uniquely what you care about and to find a homie, which ends up being your cousin that will it's ride or die pretty much to help you like express that. Like, I can't think of a, a better, like a better definition of success. Oh man. Yeah. That, you know what? Thank you. And as you were saying it, I mean, that's, that summation I have definitely made, um, 
uh, over the years uh, in just like the absolute gratitude I have for this experience to have, you know, like you said, made an absolute homie and that homie is my cousin and my cousin and I would have had a relationship regardless, but the right. one we have now doesn't look like one that I have with anyone else. Uh, it's just a place of like, you know, reliability and trust. And, you know, I mean, about a year or two in, we started to keep like book on everything is 50, 50, every single, every decision, every dollar, every come, every go. There isn't like, I think he'd want to do this. So I'll just, no, there's nothing. Right. So we dialed that in like within the first two years and it's been, you know, I mean, January to come, it'll be about 14 years. And yeah. I, I'm speaking only about the future because we right. already have our next, our next album is mixed and mastered. And the one after that, we're actually tracking right now so i mean during this covid freeze up which has been its own you know thing for all of us uh we we stayed active in our own way um for the first you know 14 months we didn't even see each other uh, and couldn't practice and that was a quite a, a strain on on everyone's you know mental scenario but there was so much at play that many things were you know strained but um we kind of like went into that with, a, with you know, like a, with a warmth, you know, even though we had to slow down, we had a new album that we were ready to mix. We mixed it remotely. Then we, when we finally could play together again after a year and change passed, we went into the studio and tracked. So, I mean, that's all based on like, we've built this telepathic thing, my cousin and I, you know, I mean, right. it's, uh, it's so intrinsic to our life experience. It goes well, well, well beyond the idea of any kind of, uh, you know, conventional trappings of fortune and fame and all that stuff. I mean, that's the stuff that he and I as two kids from Brooklyn, you know, like have been able to do and achieve, you know, like and run around and, and say, you know, we know that we've been, you know, to this point and that point and the other point and we've done it, you know, like, I mean, it's the thrill of that, that yeah. like, you know, I mean, that I really, really, really hold as the, the true reward, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a therapy to us. It's a, it's an absolute, absolute huge therapeutic value to us. And when we shifted, it was, uh, to be honest with you, 2013, 2014, we did a bunch of shows and touring with, um, with a reunited black flag, uh, et cetera, you know, obviously for a band like us, which is a weird, loud, wacko band to, we thrive in like packed basements and 150 cap clubs to suddenly, you know, jump up to doing huge rooms with black flag, not just two or three times, but an entire 50 shows in, in 2014 yeah. opening for them, you know, it was mind boggling, mind blowing and a beautiful, beautiful, uh, experience for us. But I think it was around that point when you'd think that maybe, maybe we suddenly started to think, oh, look at this. Look at us. You know, yeah. like, look at, where, look at what we've gotten. To. We were a band <laughs> for six years at that point. So we've been a band longer since then, since then than we've been to that point. So, but like when we got uh, there, we started to on a daily basis realize like, you know, this is never going to be about like, you know, oh, we're somebody. This is always going to be about, oh, we need to be grateful for those around us and how whatever is happening. And like, there's this is this is being done, like not for any kind of success, but for how it makes us feel sane. You know, I mean, and it was around that time when we realized, like, you know, we're on this big tour. We might not ever be on a bigger tour and everything is great. But the bottom line is it's going to end at one point. You know, like, and life just still has to be life. Like getting that big tour helped us to recognize a need for like there to be balance. Because once you're out there, you see, oh, no matter what, even Black Flag or anybody, no one's on tour 12 months out of the year. Like it's, you know, you have to have a full rounded experience. You know, yeah. you can't achieve your, you can't, you can't achieve your life value based on one facet of your life, you know. So I think it took getting to a little bit of a bigger scale there for a minute. 
um, for us to recognize like what we're actually in it for. And that's why after that, it was like, oh, let's keep on doing everything that we want to, the craziest music possible. Let's not have any rules. God forbid we get another big tour one day. Oh, we don't. A niche band like us, you know, I mean, you know, it, it, it's all good. But we're, we're, we surely were we were like kind of motivated to appreciate it even more when that happened rather than like get cocky about it. It was more about like, Oh, we need to be really, really nice and humble and understand, you know, like, you know, this is a really lucky spot to be in. So um, I think we were lucky that we took it in that like kind of stride. And that's when like this gratitude thing started like six or seven years ago where we were just grateful to have the band. That's all bottom line. Wow. How lucky are we? We get to be best, best bros, we get to care about this thing. And when we do it, we feel the most like ourselves, you know, like, and we're, we're trying to find a way for it to not torture us when we don't, because part of being an artist is when you hear no, you hear yeah. no five times before people wake up and have their coffee in the morning. 100%. I hear that I've been rejected. I hear that. I hear that my band isn't good enough. I hear that we won't be having you this time. I hear that before you open your coffee, you know, yeah. like before you start like pressing yes on the curing, you know what I mean? That's part of being an artist too. It's not always just like, well, let me tell the good show about playing House of Blues Anaheim when everybody was there like it's not always that it's once that and it's a thousand times you're not good enough so you know to just you know keep rolling and tumbling through that regardless is one thing but to recognize oh i do it all because the yeses and the nos matter because it makes me feel like i'm doing some i'm I'm attaching some meaning and value in my life because sometimes we could feel like what is life (laughs) you know we we worry and if we don't we don't put our own meaning and value into it sometimes it could get a little dark so it's felt really good to have that kind of like bond with my cousin and it's over the art that we make and we're like in it for the long haul you know i mean he and i are you know i mean growing up you know we're 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 our our personal relationships outside of the band with our you know fiancés are becoming wives you know things are becoming like right. bigger and broader but like it's not like we're like saying like so listen it's all over, you know, it's just like, okay, cool. Well, you know, like if we're both going to be getting married, like, you know, maybe we won't be doing shows for six or seven or eight months. I mean, we'll figure out something after we just know that like, we both love to do the band. So it's here. Um, and we're going to, um, keep on tending to it, you know? So that's, right. uh, that's the real gift in it, you know, making such a, a tight connection with my cousin, Paul. Now that definitely like, um, the speak on that before I got some black flag questions, but, um, speak on that. I think that, one that's huge because when you play out you can only play one place so many times right so to have that have that downtime probably is better for that you know what i mean as far as like i mean you guys road dog hard you guys tour like pretty extensively like your tour dates are pretty intense but um so you know having that downtime and being able to balance it and know that no matter what in like six months or three months this is still going to be important you know i think that's that's huge and that they, they, that's not easy to find, and just like it's it's amazing that one you found it within within your own family, because um, you guys are like what ten years, nine years apart, something. Uh yeah, we're we're basically just about almost ten. It's like nine and change. Okay, um, nine, nine and change. Was there no? Like, actually, no. It's actually no. I'm yeah. He's born eighty eight. I'm born seventy eight. So it's actually ten on on the okay. money. Nice. I'm that. Yeah. So like like. I guess uh, probably growing up, there wasn't that clear connection that, oh, you know, we're going to do something right away. You know what I mean? that, that Just because of that, like, that that gap. You know what I mean? Like, you, two different spots of life. But uh, what brought you guys together was your, your uncle, right, in uh, making his record. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, and, and you're right. There definitely was, you know, I mean, with the 10-year difference, you know, I was 
I was 10 when, when Paul was born, you know right, I mean? Right. So <laughs> I'm not thinking like, there's my sticks, you know, like <laughs> I'm not thinking, get him a bass drum, you know, like, I mean, yeah, no, you know, there's I mean, no I, way there's no, yeah, absolutely not. I mean, recently, you know, I mean, um, Paul uncovered a photo. I mean, you know, eventually if there's some mega box set a thousand years from now, maybe something like this would make its way to the light of day. But this is a, you know, this otherwise this is a family private photo, but it's hilarious. It's like, uh, my uncle, which is his dad, Paul, and my aunt, Maureen, which is his mom, holding Paul, you know, freshly like, you know, six months old. And there I am like 10 years old. And the difference is like the size of like, you know, a human and a little kind of it, like yeah. bunny or like a little <laughs> rabbit, you know, or like, an, you know, it's just like it's crazy to that think, is. you know, I mean, and I, I marvel at the the results all these years later, you know, but yeah, there wasn't a, a clear cut you know, like this is going to be, um, you know, but it was the connection via my uncle. Um, essentially, it's this is kind of an interesting little little story to to really tie into the family thing of it. Uh, you see, my dad, um, who was Evan Gold Sr., mm -hmm. and Paul's dad, who's Paul Claro Sr., essentially, they were best friends in the 70s. Uh, and that's how my dad met my mom, who's Paul's dad's okay. mom. I don't know if right. I'm totally confusing you. No, no, I'm following uh, you. But, I'm following you. Okay. So <laughs> there was an, there was, you know, I, I go by Ev, but it's short for Evan. You know, there was an, there was an Evan Gold and Paul Claro in the 70s, like making music in a basement somewhere, that's, you know, kind yeah. of like pre- preceding this entirely, you know, accidentally Paul Claro introduced that Evan Gold to his sister and like, boom, I happened by accident in 78, you know, and then Paul comes along uh, 10 years later in 88. So it is kind of odd that, you know, our parents were friends and they were friends in, in a sense that they were playing in a band together as kids. And that's how they, that's how like they kind of that relationship developed where I came along. So that's one little family caveat thing but yeah um and, and to further explain my uncle's tie-in so you know all those years later um you know my my uncle was always a musician he remained a musician as did my dad etc so um it was my uncle had decided to uh to finally like go to a studio and make a recording of some songs that he had you know he just wanted he, he didn't have like some aspiration to you know like for anything other than like you know i've been writing songs for a long time you know i've not gone to a studio um he spoke to me because I had played in bands like I was just talking to you about playing, you know, Lamore and CBGBs in the 90s. I mean, you know, by the mid aughts, I maybe at that point I wasn't in an active band at that moment. But like if my uncle was thinking of going to a studio, he like would bell me up, you know, and, you know, he uh, and say, you know, Ev, you know, do you know somebody or would you want to come play on this or that? So when he belled me up and asked me about that, it seemed totally commonplace. I didn't realize that um, that Paul, his son, was going to come to play. Now, I, I had seen. Paul played. Um, Paul played his his high school. Um, his high school had like a serious, legit, like uh, jazz marching band. Um, he was like lead drums. They actually went to Japan on a uh, oh, on this exchange trip. It was it was a really it was a highlight of his young music career. Um, I think you know, uh, you know, he was kind of on the fence as to whether he was going to go to um, music school for college or otherwise. Uh, coming off the um, the back of that experience in high school, he went otherwise rather than music school. But if you eventually have Paul on, you could always talk to him about that. Uh, but the point is, um, I had seen like the holiday before, like the tape of that jazz band doing their main recital before they were going to Japan. But like the the main thing, and see, saw Paul playing with a huge ensemble where like he's 
leading this this orchestra and they are bouncing they sound great they're doing everything everything sounds good because like he's drumming in the middle of this this percussion section so i was really i knew paul was talented undoubtedly but when my uncle called me and said he was going to record some songs it didn't connect to me oh i'm gonna go and paul's gonna go and we're gonna play right. but um that's that's what came to be um it was late 07 and paul and i started playing together officially in 08 i mean i went uh we went to this little studio, you know, um, we got together, we played and, you know, within, you know, within the afternoon, Paul and I definitely, um, they just felt a connection for sure. You know, like we were just adding accents to little parts of my uncle's song, which we had only just heard for the first time or two, and then spent a few minutes with, we weren't looking to change his song. We we're just trying to back him up. Right. I, you know, to add some rhythm guitar, add some, you know, slight drums you know, go with our, you know, with the family, kind of read each other a bit, et cetera. But Paul and I right out of the gate were, you know, laying in these accents that were as if we had been playing together normally. So I, I, I felt something, he felt something. And then um, maybe a month or two later, I was in a, I was in a position where, um, you know, playing music was, you know, of, of the essence to me and the people I was playing with were uh, had making some life changes and we weren't going to play together anymore. And I was just trying to find, uh, somebody finding a drummer. I mean, it's just like, you know, I mean, a good drummer is, is great for a band. Uh, makes a, makes yeah. a, uh, yeah, kind of clutch. Makes a, <laughs> clutch. Yeah. A good drummer makes like a so-so band sound really good. For sure. You know what I mean? For like, sure. yeah, like, like, a, I, so, I mean, a great drummer can make almost anything work, you know I mean? And then there's also a lot of drummers, you know, that aren't <laughs> that, but they could also play and that's fine. Right. You know, but I mean, fills in the gap, but yeah. But so, so a month or two after recording with my uncle, when I knew, you know, I still, I knew playing with Paul felt good, but still I was looking at it from like, he's 10 years younger. Yeah. Like, like I mean, there's just, we hadn't really discussed anything, but I, uh, I had, I was going through like Craigslist, trying to meet up with bass players, drummers. And it was just like a perpetual hole of, of not so good encounters. And then one night I was trying to meet this bass player who didn't meet up with me. And Paul had a gig with his band at the time. They were, um, like a piano, saxophone, drum trio. Uh, was it like a jazz like, band? Was it like a... yeah, like 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 more like jazz with a pop rock kind of like flavor. Like like huh. the, the piano player sang. So it was somewhere in like a piano led, um, almost like theatrical jazzy kind of thing. Um, you know, I mean, but so I I went. Um, and you know, not not that you know the other members of the band were able to do their thing, but. I was like blown away by seeing Paul in his element, like, you know, in this band that he was in where like, he's helping to obviously arrange and write these songs, which, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm of the musical, you know, kind of, um, I'm of the musical inclination that I, whether or not that's the style of music per se that I listen to. First of all, I listen to so many different styles that I just like, it's either good to me or it's not so good, but I'm still trying to be open-minded. But so the point is whether or not like, you know, was the musical style or not, I was knocked over by what they were doing. And it was what Paul was doing that really was speaking to me. And I thought then, ooh, it went from suddenly, oh, my cousin plays to like, if I could play in a band with him, I'd be in good shape. <laughs> you know, like, right, so right, right. then it was kind of like, okay, well, I'm 10 years older than him. I've been playing in bands on and off. He's known since he was, since as early as he could remember, you know, like he, he plays, he wants to play, you know, let's, let's conversate. And as soon as we, we talked about it, we were both like salivating at the idea, you know, like, I mean, and he had wanted to do it and I didn't realize he had wanted to like, and, and it opened me up in such a way like, Oh, wow. He even, he, he's, he, he, he wants to play with me. I feel, you know, I feel validated. I feel so nice about that. Holy crap. So we started off on this really nice, like footing. 
Um, and because I've been playing on and off in bands, like, you know, I had some emails with clubs and, you know, like to get gigs and we just started rolling right out of the gate, uh, as, as quickly as we could. But, uh, now, yeah, the... we... sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um... So, uh, no, please. No, I was, I was just, I was done. <laughs> Finish line next. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's awesome. Like did I bet just with that time, the age gap and like you playing out, like you kind of were showing him and it was possible. You know what I mean? Just being in the family, being like, I have a cousin who plays. I can do this somehow. Did, was that a, did he ever bring that up in conversation? Like, when I saw yeah, you guys yeah. do Blank, that, you know what I mean? That had, like, my, I don't have that much music in my family, but um, had there been more of, I'd been like, oh, shit, it's possible. If my cousin... I definitely, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I can't really do the justice, the story proper justice. Um, he, he would have to tell it, but there was definitely a part of uh, the story that he, uh, that he told me in previous years before we ever even played together. Uh, there was a demo that I had made um, like, you know, it's, it's in like 2003. It was like in between bands, you know, in between whatever I went into a studio, recorded a couple of songs um, to condense it down. You know, I mean, obviously I, I must've given a copy to my uncle, his dad, you know, and whoever else I, I know and love and, you know, spreading it around. But when Paul was, you know, kind of putting together, you know, playing drums, playing in his house, kind of like taking lessons, learning, et cetera, he had like thrown into the mix one or two of the songs from that demo and like really oh, liked those two songs yeah. and like, you know, and thought to play them with me one day would be cool. So like when he like in the first year or two during like one of our first tours where we had to drive really far and we thought, well, this will be nothing. And then you're driving for a long time for the first time. And you have no experience with it. You're like, wow, this feels like forever. But it, it doesn't so much because we're, we're having our first big, long, deep conversations. I didn't know it was going to be like this. And all of a yeah. sudden it turns into by years later, we can do a six hour drive with no radio, not even like not even trying. And it's not like we'll be talking the whole time because we're right. best friends. It's just such an easy rhythm because we're so comfortable with each other. But those first drives, when it was like, let's go play the Midpoint Music Festival in Cincinnati in September of 2008. We've never done a show outside of Brooklyn and we don't know how to book a tour there, but we'll do a one-off. Cincinnati's right. 13 hours. Okay. That's you know, fine. and it's just like, yeah, and we did it. But like, maybe it was on that trip. Maybe it was then. You know, it was one of those kind of like first kind of... um deep deep ones uh where the bonding really comes along in a big way where um he told me that story and it like it knocked me into next week like you know when you make art when you make music no matter what level you're at unless i mean obviously if you're talking to somebody who's world renowned like right. name you know name renowned it's got to be different but i think almost any other artist who's not at that level has this level of feeling like they're screaming in a hallway that no one else is in. They are screaming at the void. No one knows that they are alive. They did everything that they could to put a piece of art into the world that represented something and no one knows. No, I, I'm sorry. I, I've worked really hard to push into the public forum the stuff I've done and still yeah. you come away thinking, does anyone know? Does anyone care? Does anyone care? Does anyone know? So in those small, real moments, when your cousin turns around and says to you, you know, 10 years ago when you didn't even know it, there was this, I would play your tape over and over and play drums to it. Suddenly like you're crying right. and, and life has a meaning and I'm thrilled to be there and be participating, you know? So, I mean, that's the kind of like, you know, magical little bits. And that's why it's like at the end of our sets, you know, I mean, you, you know, like what we've always done customarily is we wind up uh, like, 
hugging it out at the very end. Like, like we, we, we bring, we crash land the set the way we do when we play live. Uh, there's a lot of noise, a lot of insanity. It comes to a, to a halt. And then as I'm turning things off, you know, if people are deciding to, to clap or not, as we do one long set, we don't stop in between songs for clapping. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long concurrent uh, thing where we do jams to segue from song into right, song. But the right. point is, we then hug at the end. You know, and then at the end of the night, we're loading out the gear. When we say goodbye, we say, hey, man, I love you. Like, I don't know too many other bands that, no. like, that's their fi- that's their finale. <laughs> and then behind the scenes, they actually say, hey, I love you, man. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And they send a good morning text the next day. You know, that's the kind of stuff that happened from, like, the bonding that's happened of doing it with them and, and hearing, like, hey, I was I had some sort of value in, you know, by that demo tape I made to his young ears at a formative time that inspired him. And and he's, in my opinion, extremely, extremely mind bogglingly talented on the kit. So to think that I could touch somebody who's already naturally talented to make them even feel motivated to do anything more. Boom. I did my job as a musician right there with just my cousin. And then, you know, the world gets to hear my cousin play drums a little more because we play in a band together and I'm running around trying to get us involved with whatever we can get involved right. with, and we work really hard together at it. It's it's interesting because, like, music itself, the whole, like, it move right, the idea is, like, it moves people, it makes people dance, and, like, as an artist, you want your work to move people, maybe not in the physical way, but the maybe transcendental way of, like, having a new form of thought. And when when you're a musician and you learn that you've inspired somebody, like, Especially like kind of look at the touch on the black flag thing, like the whole DIY punk ethos, right? Like of doing it yourself and being inspired because they did it, and to know that it hit home that hard, right? And like uh, there, there is no like you were saying, I can't imagine a better like. Um, there's no higher reward than that, than because I 100% agree with that. Screaming in the void, like so much of so much of doing music is just like here it is, two likes. Nice. One more than last time. You know what I mean? Like, and like, it starts, yes. <laughs> it starts to become great. this thing. That's great. Sorry. Um, this thing where you have to like justify it for yourself and not be egotistical about it. You know what I mean? Cause it's easy enough to keep feeding your own loop and then like, then it's completely impure. So to find the balance of, of, of doing it right like that is a, not an easy task. But as soon as there's one nibble of someone saying, Hey, what you do made me feel like good about thinking about playing music. You know what I mean? Even a little thing like that. And then when it hits home as much as it did with your cousin, like that's badass. That's super badass. So, and like the, they kind of turned that into a question when you went to Cincinnati, how do you even hear about that fest? That's a, like, that's a long drive from Brooklyn. Like, yeah, it, that... was it something you were aware of? And well, like... I mean, the deal was <clears throat> in all the bands I played in before, I started playing with Paul, which is like starting from 1994 all the way through 2007. Um, what type of actually what type of music w- was that? Was it like punk? Was it hardcore? Um, the was bands it... that I played in, I, I would definitely say were you know like um, like heavy, um, not 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 metal, like like heavy to hard rock in the 90s. Like uh, you know like the 90s band was like heavy to hard alternative or rock kind of, um, and then. It turned into, yeah, I mean, kind of like nothing that was ever as experimental or jazzy or loud or intense. I think all of the 
all of the extremes were never explored in any of the bands that I played in before. Like mm. you, you can hear the insanity that comes through in Cinema Cinema, but aside from maybe when I was a straight vocalist for my first band and I incorporated a lot of different screaming and different like breathy, weird talking and stuff that I was experimenting with at the time, uh, that was that was fairly aggressive, um, you know. But I I would say that you know the bands were more in the realm of like you know indie rock alternative rock you know with punk leanings you know like um i mean fugazi was basically like a bible to me not that i ever played in a band that sounded like fugazi but just the ethos of like you can get heavy without necessarily being crushingly heavy like as long as like you you're smart and you're tight and you're aware of dynamic and like you, you you follow like song with sensibility so but the thing was i think i really 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 at the core of it, I always wanted to be just in totally uninhibited. Uh, and the thing is when you play in bands for the most part, um, you know, I mean, no, not many people want to have like everybody in the band going crazy and like, and and people want like, you know, it's, it's hard to explain what I'm saying. Like no one wants, you know, like a a nonstop doodler doodling and doodling and doodling away on their instrument. And I'm not saying that that's in it by any means what we do, but like, what we did in the early goings, I think, was we didn't limit each other in terms of like being as free as each other would want to explore as far as we want to go with like playing it crazy, playing it wacko, overplaying it, underplaying it, doing whatever we want. It's just the two of us, you know, I mean, yeah. and then we we tried to like find a way to use that limitation as our as an advantage and and do things that were that really worked for the two of us. But we had to kind of like do it by trial and error i think in the beginning but now that's that's when paul so when paul and i started playing it really kind of like became just open um very open and kind of i guess i'd like to say closer to what i always wanted to do um but i think previous any previous music i made was more um slightly more controlled and more um okay. you know like i i i, I don't want to say conventional but i mean yeah, that's that's not a bad word i mean there's more like song based less uh less absolutely unhinged insanity i'd say like i mean somewhere with paul and i when because from early on we didn't even realize it was it was screaming it was it was it was shouting therapy at first we didn't even realize that it was just we could only make this insane sound together that's what kind of happened like i think when we got together at first the earliest if you listen to the earliest cinema cinema stuff you'll hear more I, I believe more of a tuneful, more of a, you know, song based, you know, and, and a little closer to rock. If you listen to Manic Children and the Slow Aggression, our album from 2012, which we recorded at Inner Ear down in Arlington, Virginia with Don Z and Tara, who yeah. um, is a great, great, great esteemed recordist who's done like everything Fugazi. Discord put out. And yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, so we we're very fortunate in that occurrence. We also recorded with him again in 2018 for some record store day stuff. But to get back to the point, uh, if you go back to that, um, that's and that's like our second album that is even as opposed to the following album and the one after that like you can hear a jump to a little bit more unhinged by the following album it was around we did after that after manic children and soul aggression we did this we got asked to do um uh, a cover from a song of a song from the year 1993 any one that we wanted because it was 2013 it was a 20-year anniversary comp this new jersey label was putting out and we chose 50 foot queenie um, the PJ Harvey song, which had come out on, on, I guess, dry in 1993, I think is the name of the album. But the, the point being when we went in and cut 50 for Queenie, 
it was like a year and change after we did that Manic Children album and was like we had also had done like as many shows as possible. We were saying yes to every show, every drive, everything. Because I'm going to circle back around to that Cincinnati question, but we were saying yes to everything. And then when we went and did Queenie, we were this like new kind of beast. So right. if you listen to 50 for Queenie, we kind of went through a doorway on 50 for Queenie where we became uh, heavier, unhinged, and the vocals just became absolutely like a madman. And that kind of then opened the door further to uh, further heavy, intense, wacko punk. Um, and then how far can we take it? Let's take it even further. Let's get let's get wind involved. Let's get you know horns involved. Let's get improv involved. And we kind of come closer to where we are now. But to get back to that Cincinnati thing, what happened was I said all that about the previous bands, but the main point about the previous bands is none of them had played shows beyond like the border of New York mm. State. And I always... You know, I mean, I had read Get in the Van um, in 1995, uh, and it's I just this morning took it off my shelf uh, yeah. again, and, and I marveled. Uh, at, well, I was I was happy at the fact that I was doing an interview with you today, and actually a few hours ago I had another interview scheduled um, with a different outlet, um, uh, and uh, it's all in promotion of a new album that uh, I have coming out with my band, etc., which we'll get to. And the point is, I was really happy to be me today and recognize that. So I was kind of like uh, spending yeah. some time with the yeah. uh, with the uh, artifacts around the house that kind of meant something to me. And I hadn't uh, touched Get in the Van in a while, and I grabbed it off the shelf. And I just looked at the forward real quick, which is its own kind of plain, poignant thing. But he kind of ded dedicates it to all the bands who've been through it, etc. But then as it, I start reading it, and I get to like the second or third page, and I see, you know, um, pictures of uh, of Ginn and the Black Flag and, and Rollins and stuff. And when I know like the 17-year-old version of me read this thinking like this, this is like a key to the map of the world right. uh, you know like this is how you do a band and knowing that then the 35 year old version he wound up on tour with black flag that's like that's like being that's a mets a, fan yeah. and getting drafted to to play on the mets you know that's like yeah. being a you know you know it's like it, it's that's that's an amazing thing but the the thing is kind of uh uh, this morning I was spending some time, you know, looking at uh, looking at getting the van and um, and enjoying it, and it was making making me remember that before I ever played with Paul, I played in a number of bands, but I dreamed of a band that would say, okay, not necessarily, you know, screw it all, quit everything today, let's do it, even though that's kind of what I dreamed of. But I dreamed of a band, yeah, that would get in the van and go travel around and just have the adventure of touring. I hadn't done that. I'd played locally, and that was that. You know, I mean, that was part of what, um, you know, the evolution of my late twenties into my thirties. And, um, I, you know, I was married in my twenties to the wrong person and, you know, it came down to, uh, different goals. And I, one of my right. main, you know, arguments from my side of why I couldn't continue was like, I need to play music in all 50 States. Like you don't understand that. Cause you think I want to be like the most famous person in the world. And sure, that would be nice if a lot of people heard about it, but I need to go out there and do this. Like you need to just start a family. And I don't like, that was just like a change in my late twenties when I got divorced and then started playing in the band with Paul, like six months later. But the point is this, I was yearning to go, uh, to get, to get out there. And Paul matched that energy with me right off the bat right off the bat and we agreed okay well black flag is our guide that's what we're going to try to be like that we're going to book shows we're going to do whatever we have to do we're going to play everywhere so we were on the lookout early on in 2008 for anything that was out of town we would you know we were always booking like a new york and a brooklyn show to like double book a month so it's like right. we had the illusion of playing as many shows as possible we needed to go we needed to get out of town so uh in the Argo of the Times, all those like CMG Music Marathon and North by Northeast, you know, and South and South by Southwest, which South by Southwest, which obviously became a corporate entity and still stands to this day. But I just mean like back in 05, 06, like, you know, really the, you know, music like festival things were just like really kind of prevalent on small bands would try to get on them. Um, 
you know, seven, oh eight, oh nine, ten, all the way through into the the teens, you know, until you know those bigger ones like South by Southwest became corporatized and humongous, yeah. and obviously they're there. And like you know, you know, little baby Nas one and the Strokes and everybody plays it or whoever it is, you know. But the 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 point is, um, I had my eyes peeled as from the get go with the band. I've kind of been like the um, the searcher, you know, or the you know like the you know quote unquote like the manager or whatever you want to call it. Like I'm the one who's um, sniffing things out connecting dots sending emails um for the most part like the 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 hound on the trail so that started early where i didn't know what trail was what and i was willing to go anywhere and my cousin who was 10 years younger than me i was 29 he was 19 he's like i'm ready let's go so we got like our first gig out of town at maxwell's in jersey in hoboken so like that was like barely okay you know it's like and it's not even really out of town but it's It's like it is out out of town yeah. And it's like Maxwell's, like hey, everyone's played there. Yeah. Holy cow, it's epic. So we were thrilled about that. And we got so hot about that that then um we had submitted um we had submitted to to do CMJ that year in New York because you used to have like submit through like a, a press kit or whatever. And we got an okay for it, which we were really happy about. But we, at the same time we submitted, we saw uh we were thinking we're gonna do a festival every month. We didn't know what we were thinking. We had seen right. like as we were submitting for CMJ another ad for this um Cincinnati festival. Um, and I had in my heart of hearts and in my soul of souls, this dream, uh, because of WKRP in Cincinnati, when I was a child, I dreamt that one day I'd be a rock in a rock band on tour and I play Cincinnati and I would like sing the, um, the, the, the theme song that baby, if you ever wanted, wanted whatever became of me, I'm living on the air in Cincinnati and Cincinnati WKRP. I always wanted to say that on stage in between songs in Cincinnati and the tour stop. I was thinking that from the time I was a child. So when there was a Cincinnati possibility, we submitted not thinking, you know, Cincinnati's 13 hours away. We've only played outside the city once and it's Jersey. Like, how do we even do this? Do we book other shows? And boom, we got accepted. Oh, wow. And then the ego rush and the good feeling and we can't wait to do it. So you stop worrying about the fact that you don't know what the hell you're doing. Uh, and you just like literally plop into the pool and try to doggy paddle. And that's how we wound up doing a one-off for that um, Midpoint Music Festival, which was a great show and it opened the door and that we had then a contact to book there and Southgate House in Kentucky, which is right over the bridge over there. Um, you know, you got the you got your Skyline Chili, you got your Cincinnati and Kentucky right back to back with each other. Right. I mean, it's beautiful, you know. I mean, so the point is, it was us, you know, kind of like blindly throwing ourselves forward into the insanity. That's how we did that Cincinnati um, quote unquote tour slash one off early on because we had to do like an out of town show every month. That was the beginning. That was September 08. Okay. Yeah. That's well, what's cool. Like it's, it's so to get that out of town gig, as soon as you meet that person, now you're not just an email. Now you're not just like a, a maybe now a Facebook message. you like, you have a connection with someone, which makes that touring possible. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That's what happened. Well, what we did was we did that in September in Cincinnati and it was like, Oh wow, this is great. And then <clears throat> in January, we were going to be coming up on our one year band anniversary. And we planned a legit like eight shows and eight days tour down to Southgate house in Kentucky, which was going to be, um, you know, the stop right after Cincinnati. The point was we were going back to Cincinnati because yeah. like, Oh, we got a spot. We got a connection. Definitely. They like us there. Yeah. We need to go back again. So <clears throat> we did a tour that routed us down it was January 2009. It was our one-year anniversary, and we went in freezing January, not even, like, worrying about that. You know, like, at the time, we didn't have a van yet. We had a four-door Mazda Millennia. Damn. Okay? Yeah, it was nicknamed Daryl because 
Yeah, it was nicknamed uh, Daryl because it came with a strawberry air freshener when Paul bought it, and we're big Met fans. So we went down there and Daryl the Mazda Millennia because we're an economically uh, a, 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 a fitting. Yeah, we jam a cano because we're a duo and we have everything on our lap in this Mazda. Um, it was, uh, yeah, the Mazda was the, the tour vehicle at first, but but the whole point is, we went ahead forward with our first actual like leave the leave home Monday, come back the next Monday, do shows every night. Um, because of that Cincinnati experience in September and the following January '09, we did a tour all the way down there, which made us play um, like D.C. and Virginia and like deeper into New Jersey and you know ultimately Cincinnati again and Kentucky, all those for the first time and Philly and like that was like that burst the bubble. And in 2009, that year. We decided we were going to go insane, and we wound up playing a hundred shows that year. Um, yeah, it was. When it comes down to it, it's basically. I mean, you know, now I'm just narrating stupid math, but my buddy said it to me at the time, like that's like a show every three and a half days. But it really <laughs> kind of is, and it was the thing is that like it, it was our own elective decision to be insane. Like we said right, yes right. to everything, and we made every weekend. I tell you, there was a, there was a venue called Plaza Bowl a bowling alley in Richmond, Virginia. Richmond, Virginia is solid six hours and 15 minutes from Brooklyn. If you were to play this once in a career, maybe as a tour stop, maybe one time, it would probably be enough times. We played Plaza Bowl in 2009 like four times. Like we did this like... (laughs) We went up and down this figure eight because we made friends in those in, in Virginia and in D.C. Like all those ones I just mentioned, yeah. from here down to Kentucky. We did this like figure eight thing over and over. And then we were throwing ourselves up into New England also over and over. And um, That's what it it's all great, about. That's what it's it all about. It was a great about. learning experience. Yeah, that, that was what it was all about. And to be honest with you, now that it's evolved and it's different, um, I definitely look at some of those times as some of my favorite times. When, when they're happening, you don't say, oh, wow. This right. could be the favorite time. You know, you just think, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> but, you know, what you're doing is you're going out and meeting life in the moment, you know? Right. So, yeah, it's been really a lot of fun chasing the sound everywhere. That's beautiful. And that's, you know, that's the capital. You don't make money, you make friends. And, like, yeah, it's an amazing, it's amazing to have that drive to do it. And it's amazing. Like, I agree 100% with what you said there with looking back. You're like, you know what? That was rad. You know, we we're out of gas and mostly hungry. That was really dope. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. But we, yeah. you're driving on ambition and like, but uh, the kind of the jump into like, um, so touring with Greg Ginn now, yeah. like from, from, from reading, getting the van, you know, which is a, you know, Rollins perspective, but like, yeah, man, to like, what was it? What was he like? Cause like, <laughs> did he, um, uh, before you guys got that gig? Cause he was like repping one of your shirts on a tour, right? Like he was uh, aware yeah, of you well, guys before. Yeah, to 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 get to, to flesh it out a little bit more and not you know turn it into uh, an entire new episode. But uh, yeah, we we wound up. It was that year two thousand nine that I was just talking about where we right. literally toured everywhere nonstop, nonstop everywhere, everywhere nonstop. Where we um we met a band when we were on tour in D.C. and they had done a split with Greg's new band at the time, like a split forty five. Yeah. Uh, that they released on their little label. It wasn't on SST, but like I, I just I hadn't even realized Greg was out and functioning and running around. And Greg was basically doing um at the time he had 
uh, a, a like fish like jam band called Greg Ginn and the Taylor Texas Corrugators. Yeah, that's what, that's what Greg's uh, band was at the time. So now we're, we're, I'm talking back to 09. So when I talked to this guy at the show and he's like, yeah, well, we're going to be playing a show with Greg in the summer. And I was like, my mind was just blown. Like you said, to, like you said, tracing back to what I said of reading, get in the van, which obviously is the Rollins perspective, yeah. you know, and we know that, you know, they have differences and, and all this stuff, but this isn't, you know, their podcast. This is mine. Point is, um, you know, like, I mean, whoa, 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 wow. Never in a million years thought I would even, you know, get a chance to see a Greg Ginn solo show, let alone my band open some shows for his band then. So it started with that. Got you know, a friend it. of mine, was, a friend of mine said, hey, he's on MySpace. Uh, and this was in fall of 09. And I'm right. like, you know, you know, MySpace was still yeah. a thing. So I remember searching <laughs> for him. And at the time, I found this profile that just had a cat as the profile picture. And I thought, hmm, uh, it says Greg Ginn, but it's just a cat. Like, I guess I'm going to say, hi, I'm that guy's friend. He said he was going to say that I was going to send you a message, blah, blah, blah. So it started like that, me sending a blind message to a MySpace page that I wasn't quite sure was Greg. And then when Greg, when Greg actually wrote back and clicked on our link and, and was receptive uh, and saw that, like, you know, we weren't, I mean, at the time in 2010, I mean, or 20, 2009, it had been years since he had done anything Black Flag related. Right. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't, because in coming and in getting into his world, I did come to see people would constantly, you know, come to him about Black Flag this, Black Flag that. I think it would sometimes turn him off before he and ultimately did those reunions, but we weren't coming from some kind of angle. We were just like, Hey, we're a band that tours a ton. We're so inspired by this touring that you've done over the years. Like you blazed this trail that like we're out here doing blah, blah, blah. And he, he wrote back and it was nice. And he said, Hey, and you know, in a few months, I'm going to be in, in, in your area. If, if you guys want to do two or three shows with us, you know, like That's I'm going to have my booking agent get in touch. And at yeah. the time, because it was, you know, such a regular, you know, when Greg played solo, it's, you know, a 300 cap room or less, sometimes a right. hundred cap bar, you know, it was, you know, it's like, it's not, you know, it's just for the avid music lover, you know, this guy's an icon, you know, this is important, but like for, for the average music lover, some don't, you know, don't know who's, who's who, yeah, yeah. you know, if they think Black Flag, they only think uh, Henry Rollins, you know, you right. know, like if they think, you know, like people don't recognize, so it's, at the time, it was from a very normal, innocent, organic space that it grew from. So when we turned around and in 2010, we did like five shows with his jam band opening for them. And we were, you know, so weird and different and odd, but both bands being unique, it worked. And we became really friendly right away. Um, it was just very surprising. And it was a nice little rub at the time. We thought, holy cow, we're a band for a couple of years. We've done some shows with Greg Ginn. Like, wow, this is cool. And yeah. it became just this natural, organic, I'm going to definitely say a friendship um, that just for the, the next year and then the next year, there was about two or three years there before there was any Black Flag reunion uh, or any talk about it where uh, us, Cinema Cinema, and Greg and whatever solo act he had going at the time, um, we did we did shows. I mean, we we did shows with him in the spring of 2010. We did shows with him uh, in the summer and in the fall, August and November of 2011. Uh, we went and did shows with him in February of 2012. We also did a recording session at SST with no, Greg shit. sitting in as our bassist. Sick. Uh, yeah, and that's he still he has all those he has all those recordings. I would love to see what what eventually ha happens with it. We spent a full day, and then I spent like three hours that night doing all these crazy improv vocals. It was uh, one of the uh, one of my genuinely greatest experiences of my life. But there is an untapped it's 90 minutes worth of music that's recorded down there. So, Greg, if you're hearing this, put your ear close, 
close, close to the uh, to the radio if you're listening through some old type receiver and understand that music should come out, man. We should talk. But anyway, point being, um, so there, there I go tracing the way. In February of 2012, we did more shows with him and then we recorded stuff. And then um, in July of 2012, when we put out that Manic Children and the Slow Aggression album I just met, mentioned, we did a two-week tour with him uh, up here in the Northeast. And after that, um, where he ultimately was... Um, he culminated with some shows in Manhattan. And then, then like a few months passed and all of a sudden in early 13, he got in touch saying he was doing a black flag reunion. And I Damn. thought, Oh, wow. Sick. Uh, you know, I'll come in see the that. Least, <laughs> yeah. In, in the least, I'm going to get to be like maybe guest list to see a black flag reunion. That was right. like first thinking I'm going to be straight with you. I wasn't like, I'm the great me from the great my band. So, of <laughs> course, I'd be involved. It was just like, holy crap, Greg, that's so cool. This sounds like it's out of my world in magnitude. I guess that maybe I won't have to pay for a ticket. You know, then it was like, yeah. well, you know, I'd love to, you know, give you guys the, you know, the, the shot to open up a handful of shows. You know, you do yeah. like yeah. one or two in Chicago and do two in Brooklyn and maybe one in Philly. And I was, just, we were just like, Oh my God! Like, like shaking. Oh my God! You know, like we're 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 a band who plays basements and small clubs, and like all of a sudden, like these are going to be three thousand cap shows. You know, these are going to be like sell all the merch you have in one night kind of shows. If you know, if 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 the crowd likes you or not, but depending. Right. But I'm just saying, like for us, like you know, kind of a movement for us. So. That was the organic way, and and um, uh, Greg had taken a couple of shirts uh, off of us and wore them all around um, on tour, which kind of preceded us in a lot of places. Which was this this crazy throwback to me of like when you know, like I mean, of course, this in no way relates in any way other than in my mind and in my little fantasy world. But when I was a little kid, I remember finding out who Daniel Johnston was right. because Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain wore yeah. a T-shirt at a VMA, a Video Music yeah. Awards, in 1992. You know, I was watching that. That was a great that was a great VMAs guns and roses clothed with no clothes with november rain elton john played it with them there's some kind of like big duel between guns and roses and nirvana it was an interesting time in music but the point is not to make some analogy that's too insane but but like when when greg is being seen with the our band's shirt on and i have people i don't know sending me you talk about you know the 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 wow when when someone you know tells you that they actually maybe like what you do or what you did helped them, like we talked about before, in yeah. some little way to want to play more or anything. But talk about the mind blow through the room when someone sends you a screenshot of like one of the most iconic guitar players of all time, one of the most important punk rock people Pioneers. of all time, playing a huge gig, wearing your band shirt. And like yeah. you're someone you know got this sent to them from someone they know who you don't know. Right. You know, like, and for a second you feel like, we got to be doing something right. Like we got to be able to stop and be proud. Like it's, it's this weird thing. Like the accountability is a big part of life. I find as I've become an adult, uh, like the, the moves I make, the actions that I, uh, perform the way I interact with others is, uh, I, I like to keep an accountability for it. Then my actions, I want to stay whole with stuff. So I, I recognize what I do when I need to stop and maybe apologize or when I need to stop and, and kind of be glad for how I, I, treated a situation i try to acknowledge Definitely. that i try to try to live yeah. you know i mean it's uh it's oh god i, I was just um the, I, if, 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 you, if you want to cut in for a second i, I was no, just making like i was just on my way to this this point to and then point. I, I get what, 
It's, it's yeah, interesting like I kind of tangentially <sighs> went. Uh, I was getting spiritual there for a second, and I tangentially um, kind of fumbled at the goal line. It's all, but it makes sense because, like, well, it's acknowledging that you are doing something right by being. Yeah, well, if, well, if I can predict where you're going to go by being pure and just doing it for the love of the music and the love of being creative in your own way, that another person who thrived on doing that and recognized it, it, that you recognized them for that, recognized you with that. And like, yeah. So like it's taking like... responsibility, not response, but uh, um, claiming your actions you took with that in like, because yeah, of, like I, I'm sorry. Yeah, the the accountability that I try to take, like like I was like like I was saying, and thank you for leading me back in. And you were getting very predictive. You were getting predictive with your text there. But the accountability that I try to take in my everyday actions, where I where I recognize what I do, you know. Like, but as an artist, I'm not supposed to recognize that. Like, I've actually gotten the chance to to do that as well. Where some icon had my band shirt, like in my darkest moments. Like it's it's weird. Like I won't flash on like a like a victory like that. You'll you'll flash right. on the darker things. But like, you know, I, I in trying to like observe my life with more of a, a clear lens and living in the now and having accountability, it's made me find that um, regardless of the fact of whether or not I have some mansion on a hill in Beverly Hills and I get royalty checks or whatever I thought was stardom when I was a little kid, regardless of any of that, like I have to sit in absolute, you know, absolute joy at the things that we've gotten to do. I mean, case in point, when we're talking about the genesis of how I got to know Greg Ginn or did shows with Greg Ginn, like it's wild to me, the kid who was reading Get in the Van, you know, it's wild to me, the kid who was listening to Damaged and being like, wow, the thing that really is, is out of the lines the most is the guitar. What's up with this guitar player? Holy cow, he writes all the songs. He's the guy who started this label. And then, you know, to be, you know, face to face, you know, on, right. you know, on the, blo- you know, with the blowhole on the whale out in the water, you know, yeah. like, like, you know, Costanza when he's a marine biologist, when he's getting the, the, the golf ball out in Seinfeld, I mean, to be out and, you know, with, with the beast, I mean, holy cow, it's, um, it's great to, to get a chance to talk about it a little. And it's great to acknowledge it because, um, you know, I mean, it's being an artist is this torturous, you know, scenario where I, I circle back to that. You wonder, does it matter? Did right. any of it matter? But right. then I recognize I'm saying that while I'm on the phone with you and you're helping me to recognize in this moment that it all matters, you know? So it's this constant mirrored to mirror to mirror image that right. we're going through. I think where I, when I lost myself tangentially, you started predict, you started getting into a little predictive talk there that was getting me right back on online, which I appreciate. And to this point where it's like, it's this unending perspective change that keeps on happening. You have to just try to like keep this balance um, and, and do it for the right reasons, which is, you know, because you care about it, you know, because right, the, right, right. after that, after the, the, the zenith of, of the, of the, the Gin stuff led to the re, Black Flag reunion with Ron Reyes, where we did a handful of shows then the following year where we did the entire tour. And, yeah. um, you know, I mean, it's like, and then after that, you know, like you can't be in this place of what's next, give me more. Cause I mean, you, you start to think, well, I guess maybe when the Misfits do a reunion, we'll be the first one they call. And I guess maybe when, you know, like, and when the addicts do one, like, it's They'll just, call you us know, too. Yeah. Well, just yeah, that reunion to, band. Know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you have to get out of that thinking. I think, like, as soon as we came off that tour, like, we had shows at, at you know, at our, it wasn't like we, like, you know, maybe, maybe had we had some sort of like actual management and someone been like, Hey, you should stop and like hook up with some sort of company now that books you and do it. We just were like, Oh my God, that was amazing. This is a big rub. We have a lot of different markets now that we could write to and book ourselves. We didn't, you know, we didn't think to want to change our operation in any other upwardly way. We thought, Hey, you know, like, I mean, this could be as good as it gets. That was great. 
we're going to go back to burning our route and doing what we do. And that's kind of what we've done. I think that that's where, you know, the, you know, what we achieved in getting, you know, somewhere with all the touring, that's when we handed over our ideas to like, let's start to achieve some things like in the studio that we want to achieve now, not just like keep on writing collections of songs that feel good and like making albums, but let's like, let's get crazy. Maybe let's have a guest at one point, let's do stuff. And that's when the thinking I think started to open up a bit more. And, um, we started collaborating with Dario, um, not long after the Matt. end that, um, with Matt Dario. Yeah. And we came back from that black flag tour, um, and we put out an album called the night at the fights, uh, which we had been kind of, um, playing a lot of the songs on the road with them. And not too long after that, we kind of, um, we kind of started to feel like, okay, well, you know, the thing that we've, um, seem to be something that's universally respected amongst other artists. And, you know, I have respected it as a fan of other artists, but, and from artists, artists, when you watch, artists do stuff that's fearless, you know, and grow and go ahead and not when it's aimed and like, it's clearly planned and this is just a career change or whatever, or like some, some, you know, calculated thing, but organically like what? Like, I think part of the whole, like loving Neil Young, you know, like, and, and his, his constant changes and stuff. And, and I'm a very big Lou Reed fan. Um, his consistent changes all the way up through, like dropping an album like Lulu at the end, which everyone yeah. can't stand. You know, I mean, I mean, come on. That was on. An interesting. <laughs> yeah, interesting, and, record. interesting, interesting to say the least. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, but I mean, and all, all the artists that have. I mean, I mean, the, the greatest chameleon, magic man of all time, Bowie, who has constantly shown us new ways with every single different step he's taken. That all are familiar in there already but brand new because he shone a light on it but the point is i think after like we kind of felt like well we don't know if we'll ever get another tour that big again and it's not like suddenly we're signed to some big machine that makes us into something else we're still exactly who we were before we stepped into the van now we're out of the van and like you know i mean we can't expect to always be brought along on these tours we want to keep on doing what we're doing and <clears throat> um, branching out but like i said we, we started to focus a little bit more i think on taking chances and doing some different things in the studio. Um, and that kind of is where collaborating with Dario came in and eventually moving in the direction of like the, the newer material that we have coming out now or that we've been putting out as of recently. So the kind of, the kind of speak on that. So like when you listen to a, like a, like shoot the freak, like, or, or like a earlier record, it's very like, it, it's just the two of you guys. But when you recorded, is there, did you layer parts? Or do you use a loop pedal at all? Because at, at times, uh, well, yeah, I, I, I definitely. Um, there's, uh, th there's a huge pedal board at play. Uh, yeah. if, to speak directly to shoot the freak, shoot the freak was recorded uh, at the same time that EP as the Manic Children and the Slow Aggression album. They were both done down at Inner Ear with Don Z and Tara, and that was a session where I definitely. Oh, I did at least guitar overdubs. Okay. Uh, where I laid in some some extra, uh, some different um, textures in. So if you're going to speak to the actual, you know, to that earlier on, yeah, there was definitely some more overdubbing to to kind of fill the space. But then when we moved into a little bit uh, later on, we started to work with Martin BC um, here in Brooklyn, and he's his own sonic wizard who deserves, uh, you know, a uh, an hour's worth of time to be discussed, <laughs> but just to condense it down, we uh, we started to work with Martin here. Martin's worked with <clears throat> a myriad of artists that uh, we love, adore, and respect, like um, Swans and Sonic Youth, nice. Bambada, yeah. Helmet. I mean, everybody 
we don't have to get much further into it. But uh, when it came to Martin, we, then the albums we've made over the last few years, because we've consistently worked with him a lot, um, there's been less um, less actual guitar overdubs, and it's been more um, you know trickery that'll actually have happening with loop pedals, um, okay. laying down like a bedrock thing beneath stuff. Uh, rarely do we go back in, and I like double of a riff part to make it meatier like that's not like or, or nor do i uh do like an unsupervised you know kind of um what i would call like advanced noodling set i i'd say like the early overdubs on the early albums uh for me um i you know i would love to go back and have them be super focused but i don't want to go back in time and change anything and who knows what happens to you if you go back in time maybe you can never come back forward so let's not go there but the point is i feel like <laughs> i was more inclined to do an overdub session at the end of the whole recording no matter what to add some more guitar flourishes whether or not they'd be able to be done live or whether or not i planned them out too well whereas i kind of let go of that um idea and it became more about not just like well i only want to do on record what i could do live because i don't right. want to i don't want to cut myself out totally of all the cool stuff you could do in the studio but i would like to be able to just be creating almost all of the stuff that's coming from the guitar sound from when we're tracking and not have it be like you know a bunch of excessive other guitar parts flying in flying out i think there was also the the challenge of properly catching our low end because I hadn't started by amping my pedal board yet when we made Shoot the Freak oh, and Manic okay. Children with Don Z okay. and Tara. Yeah. I was running my entire pedal board, which includes uh, an octave pedal, which gives me a low rumbling tone. Right. I was running the whole thing through a guitar amp. So when I would click over and get the, the low end, be it wouldn't have yeah. as much presence. And right after that, I, uh, I was introduced to the trickery of bi-amping my board, wherein I run my octave pedal directly out to a bass amp. And then I have everything else going through the guitar amp. So the guitar amp's on 100% of the time. The bass amp, it gets clicked on and off 85% of the time. And it adds a lot of dynamic when suddenly the bass goes away. But it's a lot more present as of that changeover. So I think the, the recordings um, evolved after that uh, once the low end. Like if you listen to, if you listen to you know, anything and you think you're, you're hearing a bass player, that's like my octave pedal engaged and it's just like, you know, tracing my steps as I go through my parts on a guitar. So it sounds like a really tight guitarist and bassist playing a part at the same time, but it's just a, a sound that I'm producing. So that's badass. Um, well, that's bad yeah, well, until those Greg Ginn uh, bass tracks come out. But until, yeah, those will, yeah, those <laughs> until will, those surface. Yeah. But yeah, those will definitely trump whatever I have going on for sure. I, I can I can attest to that. No, that the, the the work around that problem and like split the signal like that. Probably using the what boss L or the boss line switcher. Is that what you used to do that? I I was using that at first, and then actually boss um boss updated my um my <laughs> well, it's certainly not my signature, but the right. the, the octave pedal I was using boss oh, uh, made made like an OC3. Like I had the old school OC2, the brown yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then they made the OC3 and it has a direct out Sick. on the side. So I literally just like run, that you know, pedal, an extra yeah. line out of that. You know, so it's they made it so easy that I mean, there's been over the years, like, you know, I've, I've had sometimes I've had people come up after we play live and they were like, dude, what do you do to get the bass sounds happening? And it's just like, I'm not, you know, I'm surely not like, you know, like some magician trying to hide my tricks. It's like, hey, if you can utilize anything, you know, utilize it. These are just colors that anybody paints with. I mean, so right. like I've always pointed out like, hey, you know, like 
this boss octave pedal is like the bass player who never is late to jamming. He never like refuses to do the Tuesday night show because we're not going to get anything out of it. Like he never, you know, quits the band ceremoniously if his song doesn't get played. Like he's just a pedal. So we're going to have to replace him every, you know, 30,000 depressions on him. Every every, every 100,000 steps, it's going to break, but we'll just replace him. So yeah, the uh, when, once I started to sort that out, um, everything kind of came together a lot more. And it was interesting. I think that's why another thing, when we hit the ground running as a band, we wanted to go forward as quickly as we could. And we felt a great, great chemistry between the two of us. We knew uh, it was just two of us and we wanted to function as if that wasn't a limitation, but it took a, it took a little while. It took a lot of trial and error at first to get things to, um, to where we could go out and absolutely, you know, like kick the door down. And it was by amping the board and some other adjustments that Paul made to his kit were all part of that, um, process. That's well, it makes you would only figure it out as you do it. When, where did the name cinema cinema come from? Oh, that's, that's a good one. Um, so, uh, 1993 or 94, um, those were very, you know, I mean, those important years for me. I mean, I had mentioned earlier, by 94, I had joined my first band just shy of my 16th birthday. I was out playing gigs in places that I was way too young to get into, and that was nice. uh, that was really, yeah. really great, uh, really great experience. But but to, <laughs> to dial into your, your uh, question, around that time... Um, I was just like a little sponge absorbing everything possible, every piece of art, everything that I could see. And a big part of that was like, like movies. I mean, I feel like the culture has kind of maybe evolved a bit now and I'm not going to comment on like the, the instant type of quality there is to streaming and the way we also kind of, um, you know, we just digest our, our entertainment differently. Like now everything right. is more food. episodic. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have any problem. This isn't this. I'm not going to yeah. get into a whole do do <laughs> about that point is I'm just going back to like the night when I was just like, you know, there was movies that you had to see or if there was, you know, like you, you had to like spend time with certain things it felt like. So um, I was interested in, you know, in, in anything that was challenging. And there was this French uh, film called Man Bites Dog. Oh, OK. Um, OK. That makes yeah, sense. That, um, yeah. Yeah. That that's. Uh, yeah. And that's the name of our yeah, of our fourth album. Um, well, we finally decided it was time to, to pin the, da- the tail on the donkey at that point. And we knew that people would ask the question and we would be able to like really connect it. And we, we don't genre. But yes, there's uh, a 1993 or 94, I think 93 film called Man Bites Dog, French film. It is a mock documentary. It is a black comedy um, about a serial killer. Like, you know, like a mock documentary about Spinal Tap. They follow yeah. them around on tour. Well, they follow around this killer on his exploits as he makes his living by killing random people, taking their money, etc. So, uh, you know, it takes uh, the, the male lead, uh, Benoit, he's uh, very endearing in how he plays the character. So you, the, there's, uh, you know, there's a likability to this killer. I mean, it's, you know, uh, here I am telling, uh, telling people if they should check out a movie about a, a killer. But the point is, the point is this. Um, it follows the killer around on these exploits. He starts to slowly fray and lose his mind uh, about three quarters of the way through the movie. Um, like one of the murders goes wrong, things go wrong, etc. So he um, he goes out to a bar with the crew and they're filming him and like they're getting progressively more drunk. And it's like his neighborhood pub. It's been in the film earlier. They were there earlier, like the owner knows him. Everyone's really friendly to him. But now he's getting drunk and, 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 and crazy and unhinged. And they kick him out of the pub. Um, and as they kick him out of the pub, he's starting to just like, just 
randomly like you know aggressively sing sing song words just he's making up songs uh like uh almost uh in in spite of being thrown out like as they're throwing him out seriously and he starts to sing this uh this kind of repetitive uh hymn this uh cinema cinema and he's like uh, and he's like he's like i am cinema you know like he's saying it's in french but you know there's this yeah, this camera's on him you know so he and so as he's going down this alleyway drunk before the scene ultimately ends with him falling over um he gets the whole crew to sing along with him on this improvised thing that 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 has this it comes back repeatedly to cinema cinema so uh, when I was a, a youngin, when I was a kid, seeing that, I thought, ooh, that would be a cool band name. And, like, it would be cool that it comes from that scene. That's what I thought yeah. when I was, like, 15. Um, and things were just so much more precious and not findable then. It seemed like a little holy grail idea right, that I put right. in my mind. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, as you move into the Googleable world, you know, it's uh, if you're, the name of your band is, like, I don't know, like uh, blue cheese briefcase bonanza. If it's something that is that that doesn't exist, yeah, it might be easier to find than if you search cinema cinema and your local cinema complex shows up. But right, it right. never. I never wasn't thinking years ago about like about that. I was just thinking like this is a poignant name. I like it. I'm gonna keep it filed in my mental Rolodex. So kept it saved there for a while, and then um, you know it came out to play uh, for this band. So the, that's the genesis of it. If you get a chance to spend some time with that movie, it's pretty it's pretty intense. Uh, there's some pretty heavy stuff in the movie. It might have been an NC-17 film, uh, but again, it's it's not just straight up gore. It's it's right. approached with a in in a black humor, uh, you know, dark comedy kind of satirical way. Uh, and it's worth a spin, and that's where the name of the band comes from. That's beautiful. I was wondering if it was film-inspired, because, I mean, cinema twice, but, like... And it's interesting, that story is kind of like... So you have this character who's going... Losing themselves, right? And they're getting everyone to sing this thing they made up. And in a way, isn't being in a band that, to some degree? We're just getting... We want people to hang out and sing the songs we wrote like <laughs> totally man right totally, in a weird totally. way it's 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 a reflect a reflective of, of what it end up ended up being the name of a group like that's really cool because like Very there's cool. there's some um they kind of lean into some of the new music you have coming out i don't know about the newest recording but at least uh ccmd2 um there's something cinematic about the ccmd records like because it has like this space and this almost like free jazz approach, this improv approach, which uh, if I read right was kind of inspired from the Shiner tracks, like to to allow that like improv to be it, its own thing. Um, but and it also kind of reflects on like if you started on trumpet, there'd be some some jazz influences, and if your cousin was like in the jazz groups, it I get these like. Sun Ra Coltrane vibes from from both those records. That's I mean, first of all, that you've done your homework and you know of the Shiners. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. <laughs> I appreciate um, you. <laughs> yeah, man. This is a lovely conversation. This is the the four hour episode. We were we had to, you know, we cut three hours. It came down to four. No, <laughs> no. um the point is uh, no, the uh, it's this is a lovely conversation. Thank you for for digging in and knowing what you're talking about. Yeah, the the oh boy, the 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 striving to kind of like break um, break through. It, it kind of was like we've gotten as heavy and crazy as we can get. How do you get heavier and crazier? 
show them a face they've never seen. Right. You know, I mean, I think at the core of um, of all the music that I've really, really attached deepest to, because I love I love all music. I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, I don't love, you know, a song that is, you know, m- more, you know, song like than I don't, you know, just to be generalized. I mean, I, like, I'm not going to say like, I, you know, Band on the Run by Wings is bad because it's not like, uh, you know, like Camarillo Brillo from Frank Zappa, or it's right. not like, uh, you know, like uh, whatever is the lead track on a Mahavishnu orchestra, you know, Birds of Prey, you know, like, I mean, it's, you know, I'm not, there's no, like comparing it, it's, it doesn't make sense to compare what it is. It's, like, yeah. it's, it's that, it's that sense of like, you know, like the freedom that kind of is, is embodied you know, that I think that we were feeling is what could break the the barrier of, of, of getting heavier than wherever we had been before. And maybe, um, maybe allowing ourselves to be quieter than we had ever been, maybe allowing ourselves to really look at dynamics mm. differently, maybe allowing yeah. ourselves to do, uh, to do a session that uh, based in the shiners where we would take, you know, one section of time during every recording session for every album and say, okay, we trust our instincts enough that we want to do an improv song. Let's do it. Boom. And we started that with the Shiner series, which you, which you referenced. And that was the beginning of this idea of like, what if we took our chances and really, really went for it and did full blown improv and, and and for an, for an album. And I think that um, where that, that seed really, really, really grew for us even before, um, uh, before the first Shiner or where it grew from for the first Shiner was what we do on stage. Uh, as I mentioned earlier to you, like when I mentioned how at the end we crash land the set and then we wind up, you know, turning down the amps and there's a hug at the end, etc. But uh, the point is that crash landing of the set, it's this thing that we, we, we kind of, you know, we take up off, off the ground and we don't come touching down. It's not like, right. well, we've done the first song and Colvin responds. Will you be clapping now? Hang on. I have something witty to say about uh, today's weather next. It's not that. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, there's a hi, how you doing town that we're in or people that we know here and we're really happy to play. We're this band. We're going to do this thing. All right. And then we start to play. And what we do is there's uh, improv from the get-go. Like, I wouldn't say that any two shows start off exactly the same. We eventually, of course, hook on to what is the beginning part of the program, but we simmer and cook just for maybe a few seconds to a minute. And it's, who knows, it's improv there. Then we're on to what we know. But at the, at the end of that first bit of the, of the, the, the first song of, of the program, where the song would traditionally end, we then allow the fractured bits to continue to go onward. Maybe Paul yeah. grabs a drum beat. Maybe now I'm looping something. Maybe now we're about to play something we're never going to play again, and it's the best thing that we ever played. What happened was we were having so many people over the first few years of the band say, like, yo, the stuff you guys do between the songs is really cool, too. And we'd always be like, wow. <laughs> you know, when you're really yeah. in it and improving, like, you don't, it's like a sneeze. I can't, I can't, I can't tell you what it was. You know, it just happens because that's, you know, when it happens in the moment, you're not planning the moment. So it's not like, oh, well, I always play that six-note figure and I'll just do it five times in a row. It's like, I don't even know where I just was. I came out of a trance, holy cow, but people were reacting to it. So I think Paul and I were saying there, okay, let's do improvised bits on each album. And it grew out of that further into maybe we should you know, do that at a, at a larger scale. And lo and behold, that was when we also happened to have Matt come into our um, our orbit. We had gotten back from the, the Black Flag touring and you know, knowing that we just played like our biggest shows yet. And, you know, we were right. putting out an album that was very much in the 
Argot of the loud, crazy punk talk rock yeah. madness that we were doing then. So we were kind of like we were in a good place, in a good space. And uh, a, a mutual friend of ours who at the time was like working alongside us a bit in support um, type ways for the band and was also working alongside uh, Matt Dario had said, you know, well, you guys love improving. Matt is a great improviser, you know, like he might not on, you know, on its face, you know, he might not be thinking, hey, I want to go run and you know, bring my bag of uh, wind instruments along to this crazy loud duo punk psycho band who practice in a tiny shoebox room. But, you know, I think that I could kind of get him to come over. And like, it was this thing where it's like, okay, well, tell Matt if he'll come to our practice space this afternoon, we'll, we'll, we'll jam. And if it feels good, we'll see what happens. And that was, um, yeah, that was uh, within a few months after coming back from the Black Flag tour while we were wondering, like, we were thinking, like, what's next? What will right. be next? And and, regardless, and while we were waiting for something to, to come along, we knew we had to do something, you know, ourselves regardless, because that's how if uh, we, we'd be waiting along for what's next, I'd be waiting still, you right. know? So it was just right. like, uh, okay, well randomly we were thinking about maybe doing some more of an improv type of session and then boom we meet this horn player oh he'll come over oh he's you know it, it's 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 instant magic and like they were like okay well let's let's book a gig so we booked a gig together uh and that's where the whole ccmd ccxmd like the yeah. the letters that seem to be like a roman numeral uh which is why we stuck with them as a title because it's kind cool. of confusing yeah. when we really liked that but ultimately what happened was you know, I mean, the band is, you know, Paul and I, or cousins, you know, from January 11th, 2008, we started this thing. That's that's Cinema Cinema. When we started to play with, with Matt, Dario, being that we didn't know what it was, uh, and when we went right into like, okay, well, let's play a gig. And we, we went out and did the gig and we started to figure out, okay, what do we call this? Okay, well, CCMD you know, is a way to at least try to name it as like, or maybe the CCXMD trio. Like we're trying to signify Something, that yeah. this isn't Cinema Cinema and it's not Matt Dario, it's us together. How do we say that? So we were toying around with just how to list the, you know, and ultimately whatever we landed on, there was only a handful of shows that we did, but we did come across that CCXMD kind of like, um, and the fact that it kind of looked like a Roman numeral, like 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 it just it came it came to us early on in the goings before we ever even knew that we would actually release any anything with Dario or record anything. It was right. just the challenge at first of how do we intermittently go from being this loud, insane punk band that crushes you with you know with our might and our weight to like this like ooh this sounds like a soundtrack to a weird movie band like like how does right. how does that happen you know so we were kind of like um. It's it's interesting that it started off with playing live and after two or three shows and the reaction that, uh, you know, we had people who knew us and knew that we were crazy and knew we were doing something different, but people who came and checked it out and they're like, yo, this is pretty interesting. So we were like, okay. And then we went, into, we went, I think the reason why the CCXMD2, the new album, and CCXMD, the one from 2019, it's brother or it's sister or it's cousin or it's, uh, if that's the first one, this is the sequel or this is the conclusion to the sessions. The point is, we, when we recorded these, we didn't automatically say this is coming out. Like we, we had, we went to the studio, um, you know, we had, if you trace the trajectory of our albums up to then, like I said, it's, it's, it's like rock to heavy rock, to punk, to, to punkish metal, to avant-garde, to weird, you know, the, the desperate screaming pleas of insanity, but still it's, it's not a free, free jazz, quiet, weird, ambient soundtrack. It's none of that yet. So when we went into the studio and we went in with the idea of like, let's, you know, observe no rules. Let's, you know, let's just improv. Maybe we'll get a 
song. Maybe we'll get something. And like magic happened and like an hour passed and we went in and out of two or three jams without having much conversation at all. Um, you know, and, you know, Paul and I will play together till the cows come home. We were kind of thinking, well, if, if Dario's feeling it, we'll, we'll go for as long as he wants to. And he was really feeling it. And then we started to discuss like, well, why don't we do something that sounds like this? Or why don't we do something that sounds like this? Or, you know, something that's staccato or something that's insane or something that's longer than anything you could imagine or something that's so <laughs> ambient. And we started yeah. to like throw out some ideas. So the first half of the session is this kind of like primarily connected jams that we all had kind of like laying within us somewhere. Then the second half of the session is like, we had a little discussion, you know, like Dario might've had a sip of wine. I, I know I, I enjoy water. Um, Paul might've had a, a nice tea. I don't know what everybody had during that little break, but we also had some conversation and then we started to try to achieve some, some musical concepts with the second half of the session. Uh, and we came away with what we felt like, two albums worth of really good, interesting mm. sounds like okay. nothing we've ever done before stuff. What are we going to do? Uh, and that was because we recorded. Uh, yeah, that was, we just weren't quite sure that we were going to be so bold as to be like, well, suddenly we're a jazz band, <laughs> you know? I mean, right, and then what right. it was, was, um, uh, man by dog. We put out man by dog in 2017. That went really well. We collaborated with the UK label on that. We did, um, we've done a lot of European touring, but we did a bunch more with that and we were feeling really strong and positive about it. And we said to ourselves, okay, well, we're writing a bunch of new material, but we do have this weird jazz stuff. Maybe we should release a bit of it. Maybe. So we started to kick around the idea a, a few years ago. Um, and it still was kicked around with like a very, like, we're not, quite sure if we're going to take this dive this is way way far out and then paul and i listened to it a little bit more and we were just like we can't not put this out <laughs> like we're like this would be the most insane why are we thinking twice about this uh, at all like let's run forward you know and then it became you know the plan was ccxmd and ccxmd2 was going to come out like more like last year had you know, it's it's funny when you say plan and then you're reminded of things like COVID in the world, you know, right. like it's hard to plan anything. But, you know, when, when we when we dropped CCXMD1 in 2019, we thought, OK, if this goes well, which it did right away, we sometime late next year, we'll drop the other half of this. And then we'll, you know, we'll have seen, you know, both sides see the light of day. And then what happened was, you know, COVID stopped everything and all our plans for 2020 stopped and we just kind of froze um and tried to be appropriate and take care of things at home right. and not not focus on like i relied on my artifacts of the artists i love around the house i leaned on the arts inside my house during the lockdowns i i loved music i loved my literature my books i, I loved my wife and my dog and I hoped that my, my family wouldn't die. And I felt like I don't know that I can post on a social media about a band, even if I'm in it, like, this is crazy, you know, like it just right. went through a really weird period last year. So, especially um, in, you know, New York, that's a rough, a rough, like that was super shut down. You know, there was no, no way to do anything. Like, yeah. It, it nor felt would you really, want to, you know what I mean? Yeah. It just didn't feel right to even do anything other than like, just be it appropriately uh scared and hiding right. uh so you know i mean we spent last year um you know we had music we had already recorded that needed mixing so we were lucky that we could remotely work on that stuff but we did spend last year wondering hoping that we could put out new music this year being you know ccx and d2 and, and get out and, and play some shows i mean we're glad in that we're getting the album out now we're thrilled um because it really 
represents this insane, you know, far out, you know, casting the casting the the casting the you know the the point of the ship straight into the absolute unknown, as far away from everything that we've done before. We'll, we love that this album represents that, and we also know behind the scenes we have our next like two albums essentially kind of crafted up. One of yeah. which is entirely done, mixed, mastered, and sequenced, and the other one we're, we're laying track on now. And they both don't sound anything like this. Um, the next one sounds like insane, wacko, just you know, yeah. just yeah. And Thor Harris, who's uh, a guy who's in Swans and um, a bunch of other bands. Thor nice. is a percussion. Uh, he's a percussion machine. Thor Harris collaborates with us on that next album. So it's like a trio, but it's us with Thor. So there's some stuff that has double drumming. Uh, and that sick. one, yeah, that's that's nothing like this jazz stuff. That's some, you know, that's some weird, weird, broken down, uh, crazy psychopaths in a, in a busted up <laughs> church going nuts. And then the newest one that we're working on has Matt on it again. And it's... Uh, it's not just the free jazz. It's the free jazz, but it's uh, it's through a different kind of lens, and there's some other kind of like song type stuff thrown in. So, mm-hmm. I say all that to to kind of um, breadcrumb trail out that you know we do have a lot of stuff. We're not going anywhere. We're just kind of like we're just a little concerned with the world because you know like it's so hard to to not automatically be telling you that we have like you know in at least two weeks of shows like planned as like you know in support of our record a tour you know it's just so commonplace as as we observe those traditions of like we're a band we put out albums we play shows we also practice and we do interviews when we can and we do everything like we care about it and we make it all count so this weird thing of like we haven't been able to, to practice regularly and then you know we want to play shows and shows are back, but we have like three, we have three shows confirmed for October. We have two other that we're looking at that are on hold, but we also know that, you know, if, if it's not safe for everybody in the next few weeks, then, then we're not going to yeah, do shows in October, you know, and it becomes right. this game time call when we thought for sure we'd be like, you know, we we wanted to wait until the second half of 2021 to put out any music. We felt like when, when the, News of the vaccine came at the beginning of the year. We were just like, let the world start healing, you know. So we waited as long as we could, and we waited a long time. And and now we even was like, you know, well, if we put out the album in August, we won't do shows till October, and that'll give it more time. And and now we're here, and it's early August, and uh, we're still watching. You know, we're thrilled <laughs> that the new music's yeah. coming out. We have some shows, you know. We, we were hoping to announce them with the actual album release on August 20th, but... You know, if if it becomes not not safe for everybody, we we don't want to do anything that puts harm on the menu. We want to do stuff that brings joy um, to the menu. So, uh, you know, we're hoping we could get back to that. You know, I mean, uh, but it, it does feel great to at least be in in a posture like where we're releasing, you know, album number six. I'm on the Zig at the Gig show having a great conversation. You know, Zig knows about Shiner, number four, number three. Zig knows about Trumpet. And in my past, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for this encounter. So, Likewise. I mean, this, you know, this is, really, this is really nice. I do hope that we can be triumphantly playing shows and, and, and eventually playing in your town and we can shake hands and, and you know, yeah, enjoy, awesome. you know, a face-to-face occurrence. I just hope that it's... Uh, safe for everybody to do that <laughs> yeah um, no 100 you know, because you don't you want I, ideally we're bringing people together uh for a, a transcendental event like something that's going to inspire you to 
to follow your your uh, your passions and your bliss. Um, but you don't want to do that in an environment where, hey, you might die. <laughs> exactly. Right. It's like, it's or like maybe a, you don't. A, maybe it's someone else you know. But so <laughs> I think that just you know I think that just speaks more highly of your character and like. And that, that that's awesome. That's awesome. And it, it's, it's 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 for a, a group like you guys that road dog as hard as you do, and and like to just how we've talked earlier in the conversation with the amount of shows and like if get in the van is like this is the key, and basically get in the van is like get in the van and like be uncomfortable for a long time, play as many shows, be constantly tired and hungry, like if that's the you know if those are the keys you're going with, it's like. It just speaks on the purity of your character, and like I think it was a beautiful way to kind of cap it. In like, okay, maybe these shows don't happen, but they will eventually. And like, and it's badass to hear that, even if they don't, there's still new music coming out. And the fact that each of these next like three projects, uh, counting a uh, CCMD two, um, that are coming out are completely different avenues, is super badass, and it's super cool that you're adding like a flavor to the two of you and like seeing what that is and letting that just be one thing. So I'm super excited to hear the next two records, my friend. I can't wait to appear back on this podcast for the promotional cycle for those two records. And, and, and any time that happens in between where you need another manic insane conversation about anything music related, I'm happy to come back. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're counting the days, but the point is I, I'm no, really I'm looking forward to it. And I'm I, looking forward to talking to you uh, again in the future. And um, this has been a, a very um, nice dynamic conversation um, that I've appreciated uh, entirely. And a note about that live music scenario. I mean, what I've noticed from playing almost 500 shows in this band, playing a couple of hundred shows in, in bands before this, and being a fan at like hundreds and hundreds of shows is that there's so few places in the world where you can take a large group or a small group of strangers and get them to agree on something right. without much coaxing, yeah. get them to entirely unify. And, and the power of music, that universal language is the thing that like zips the, the, the both sides up, zips the coat right up into a comfortable snug like position. And it's, that's why we feel so sacred about it. That, I mean, whether we're playing to one person, no people, a thousand people, whoever, you know, we want it to, you know, want it to be safe you know i mean because that's the place where we all feel safe together regardless of what we you know what other things are at play in our minds for that time that we can all tune into those sounds like we're all agreeing that like life is good like like let's be here now so you know i just wanted to kind of mention that at the end because we we miss it a lot you know like but you know i have you know i almost purchase tickets to see King Crimson outdoors yeah. uh, in September. Oh, I mean, I'd like to do that. I'm, I'm not sure. I do have tickets to see the Mesthetics, which is uh, nice. a group that's two Joe Lally. Of, there you go. Yeah. 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 We have tickets to see them. Um, you in guys would be a good fit for that. That'd be a really badass bill. That, that, cinema, well, that's, cinema a, that's, yeah. a, that's a dream bill. If the, if the dream gods are out there, uh, please let them sprinkle down, uh, dribble down little bits of uh, rain on those crops and let oh, those man. seeds be watered and aesthetics. We'd come out and play with you anytime. Uh, they are a fantastic. Both, yeah, both records are off the hook. Good oh group. my God. Joe's such a good guy. I meant to say, yeah, yeah, oh. that would be a tight bill. 
that would be a, a, a dreamlike scenario for sure. I, I, I just, I hope that we can be having all this fun soon. I hope that everyone stays safe and that, you know, I mean, you, you know, regardless, uh, you know, the main thing is, you know, we just kind of, you know, stay, stay out of each other's way and stay together in all this too. You know I mean? It's uh, yeah. there's just so much, you know, not to open up a whole new conversation, but it's a, it's an interesting <laughs> time we're in this evolution. Uh, and I feel like we could come through it stronger and, and better, just like any big, big, large challenge, but it's just right now, it still seems really scary and raw and constantly evolving. So, you know, if we don't get to do the shows, it'll be one of the smaller, more tiny problems in the world. Um, because, you know, nothing's really going to stop us no matter what. And, you know, we're going to keep, keep at it. We got to, you know, I mean, it makes this kind of tick, you know, so that's where we're at. That's awesome. Well, Ev, man, this has been awesome. Well, Hey man, I appreciate it. And, um, I'm excited to hear the new stuff and I'll be in touch with you in a few weeks with, uh, all the details on this and, uh, be in touch when we want to do the next one so we can promote the next record. It'll be dope. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Likewise. Hello. Hello. Ev? Ev? Hey, how's it going? It's Dave. That's good. How are you? Uh, We had an interview scheduled today for um, the Zig at the Gig podcast. With whom? With Ev. Is this Ev? Oh, no, no. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. No problem. 